0: Now, in a moment, Wayne is going to be bringing a message, and he's going to start a new series based on Nehemiah. Uh, but before he does, he's asked me to read chapter one of Nehemiah. Um, it's, we're reading from the um, New Living Translation, uh, but very similar to uh, the NIV as well. So these are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. I'm sure he asked me to read this because of the difficult names, but (laughs) being Welsh, you'd think you'd be used to that, wouldn't you? Anyway, uh, so it says, Nehemiah's concern for Jerusalem. In late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxas' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. Hananiah, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. They said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. And then I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands, listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you're unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honoured. The people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. O Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honouring you. Please grant me success today by making the King favourable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. In those days, I was the King's cupbearer. Let me pray for Wayne as he comes up. Father, we thank you for church. We thank you that you're building your church in this place and across the world. Father, I just pray for Gary and others as they're out on some Corner at the moment. Father, we pray for encounters and opportunities to share your love and blessing with all those that they meet. And for Wayne, Lord, as he brings your word now, may he speak with authority from you. And we pray that we would have ears to hear and also hearts to respond. Amen.
1: Thanks, Kevin. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks, Katie, for leading us in worship. Uh, it's good to be here, isn't it? Most of the sun is shining. Yeah. Yeah. That's great, isn't it? Uh, I wonder if um, you like basketball. Anybody like basketball? I wonder if you've ever played basketball. Believe it or not, when I was younger in sort of the end of secondary school and in, in sixth form college, I used to play basketball. And I absolutely loved it. And, and I love watching it on TV if it's, if, it's, if it's ever on. And I just enjoy the fast pace of the game and the, the two or the three pointers and all of that kind of stuff. And my son, Ruben, he likes, he enjoys basketball as well. And, and then a, a little while ago, a few years ago, his grandparents got in one of those basketball nets that's on a long pole and he just plays basketball in the garden and since we moved i haven't put it together yet so uh last week i, I decided to put it together in a hope and prayer that the weather will get a little bit better and hey hey god answers prayer doesn't he so uh, so i put it together and uh, the following day i came out and i found this lying on the floor with the basketball pole lying next to it. And, and in the wind, the wind had, had blown it over and smashed the backboard. I mean, what is that? Is that from a high chair? What is it, you know? That's from the backboard where you hit the ball here to get in the net. And it was just lying there in tatters on the floor. And I went, oh, he ain't going to be very happy with me when he sees that, when he comes down. And you see, the reason is I put this together and on the base of it, there's uh, one of those big bases where you put either water and sand to weight it to stop it falling over. And I think my family now want to call me half a Job Dulson, because I, I, I put it together, but what I didn't do was put the water or the sand in the base, thinking, I'll do that another time. There's, I, I can't be bothered, there's something on the table, I'll do that later. And I come down the following day, big gust of wind, bash, it's on the floor, and that is smashed. And I can't put it back on, I have to buy him A new one. Thank you. (laughs) One of you was like, sorry for him. The rest of you were like, oh, you get over. it. It's character building. But anyway. (laughs) The person who did that, can you see me later? Because you get special prayer. But (laughs) the reason it fell over is not just because of the gust of wind. The reason it fell over is not just because of half a job Dulcer. No, that's the main reason. It's because I left it incomplete. Yeah, I, I, di- I didn't finish. I didn't do everything that I should have done. I couldn't be bothered, basically. Don't tell him that. But I couldn't be bothered. And I thought, oh, that's fine. And I left it incomplete. And as a result of leaving it incomplete, it's now broken. I'm paying the price ...for that, because I've looked at the price of the backboards on, on, online. It'll have to come out of his pocket money. But anyway, <laughs> shh, but don't tell him that, don't tell him. He doesn't know what he's got, it's fine. He's 11. he's had enough for me over the years, okay, so there we go. But in the grand schemes of things in life... ...it's not, it's not really important. But I share it as an illustration that shows... ...how when we leave things incomplete... In our lives, there's often damage that is done. Maybe you can relate to that. This is a practical example of my son's basketball net, how I left something incomplete. And you might have similar examples where something of equally not that expensive, not a huge amount of value has happened. Or it might be a practical example of how you've left something incomplete by not locking your car. And then the following day, your car is not where you thought it should have been because somebody swiped it, you know? You leave those things incomplete, there are often consequences to that. But it can also be an illustration to things that are deeper in our lives, that we leave incomplete, like working through those issues in our lives, dealing with sin in our own lives. We can leave things incomplete because we don't want to face up. To those things. We don't want to face up to those mountains that Katie was alluding to that are in our lives. But when we don't face up to them, when we leave things incomplete, we see the broken areas of our lives lying around in piles of rubble. And this morning, as Kevin said, we're starting a new sermon series called It's Time to Rebuild. And we're going to be looking at the book of Nehemiah from the Old Testament. And just as a side note, we're going to read a fair chunk of Nehemiah between now and uh, the end of July. But we're probably not going to get through it all. So I just want to encourage you on your own at home, uh, after the sermons, to go home and and to reread it. To see what God is saying to you through it, and to pick out things that we don't cover uh, on a Sunday. Because it's a great uh, book from the Old Testament. But why this series? You see, many things in our lives fall into disrepair when we don't fully look after them. A season of struggle or tragedy, illness, temptations of life, financial insecurity, career unfulfillment and tensions. Life gets busy and we slowly start to walk away from from God and the commitments that he had once given us. In our churches, we can get so involved. It was lovely to hear of all that's going on uh, in church life. And there's nothing wrong with that. But sometimes we can get so involved in, in the busyness of church life that actually we don't necessarily see that, that what we're doing may not be what God wants us to do. Because we haven't spent time coming to him to ask him. Society has fallen away from God to a point where they don't even realise They have a need for God. There's no awareness that they need to rebuild with God. And Nehemiah is an example of how life, individually, collectively as a church, and as a society can be damaged by the wear and tear of what we face. There can be, in effect, broken basketball backboards lying all over the place because we've left our relationship with God incomplete. And this book is a witness of of why we need to rebuild with God. It's a a testament to the blessings of what rebuilding with God looks like. It's also a a how-to guide of how to rebuild. And as a church, we're, we're in a new season. I know we keep saying it, but we're still in a new season. But make no mistake, the past seasons will have had an effect upon us as a church not just COVID. Other things that have happened as a church will have an effect on us, as it will do in our own lives. And this all highlights a need to rebuild and to build well. Now for you, this may be the first time that you've come to this book of Nehemiah. That's okay. That's not a problem. Allow God to unpack his messages for you as we turn the pages of this book. For others, you may feel, do you know what, I can... I can switch off now, I can read something on my tablet, on my phone, because I know this book so well. That's okay if you know it really well, but can I just ask you to come to this series with an open mind and heart, to allow God to show you something new as you turn the pages of this book. And so this morning we're going to, in this first sermon, are going to look at briefly at an introduction to Nehemiah, to place what's going on where he is, and then we'll think briefly about the first chapter. you ready? Yeah, strap in, let's go, shall we? Yeah. So we're, we're around 600 BC. And in around 600 BC, the Babylonians started deporting the Jewish people. And they were deported in, in three groups. First, the, the royal courts and the upper classes of society. They were deported and, and, and the Babylonians thought, well, that's okay, that will subdue the people. Because all the, the, the powers that be are no longer there. They'll have to... Comp- comply with us that didn't happen it didn't subdue god's people so a second group of people were deported and that included all the craftspeople. and so the babylonians said, okay well all the people that, that that make things that repair things that you need to keep society moving if they've gone that's going to subdue the people but that didn't happen either and so then the third deportation happened with the rest of the people and that's when the babylonians destroyed the physical temple in jerusalem Now, the the, the Jewish people didn't stay in exile forever. We know it's around 70 years, so a long time. But just as the deportation into exile happened in three uh, groups, in three waves, so the return happened in three waves also. One wave was led by Zerubbabel. Funny name, always makes me chuckle. But anyway, there we go, that's just me. was led by Zerubbabel, and he spearheads the rebuilding of the temple and reestablishes the priesthood. Another wave was led by Ezra, the scribe, and he was concerned with reviving the religious life of the people. And then a third wave was led by Nehemiah, and he rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem that were still lying in ruins. Because the people had been in exile, they had forgotten. They had lost their appetite to be God's representatives. And so the book of Nehemiah is as much, if not more, the rebuilding of people as it is the rebuilding of of the walls. So, why is it important then that the walls were rebuilt? Friends, Jerusalem represented the place where God dwells. And the fact that people had allowed the walls to lay in ruins not only was a problem defensively, because they could then be easily under attack, but it was an indication symbolically how their spiritual lives lay in ruins. The incompleteness of the walls was an indication that the relationship with God was incomplete and needed rebuilding. So this is where we are in the Bible. This is the context in which we find Nehemiah. And so the story of Nehemiah is about the people being redeemed, being made complete again, to then be in a position to represent God to the other nations. It's a vitally important book of the Bible. And so relating this to today, we are to be rebuilt by God to build, to, to do what God is calling us to do, to, to build out in his community. We are God's people. It's our job to represent him to the world. When Kevin prayed for, for Gary and others at the, the, the soapbox derby, he wasn't just praying that, that Gary wouldn't get caught up and end up in a, in a soapbox and, and crash. He was praying that, that Gary would have good conversations as he represents God in the world, in this event that's happening today. And we are to represent God in the world. We're to represent him to the communities in which we're placed. Not just communities around the church, although that's important, but to your neighbours, to, to, to where we lived, where we work, where we, where we move our families. We're to represent God to those communities in which we are placed. So let's have a think through some of chapter 1 of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a cup bearer to King Artaxerxes. It's, I think it's a great job. He's it's, it's kind of like a wine sommelier. You know? I think if you like wine, this is a cool job to have. Because not only did he have to make sure there was good wine for the king, so that meant he had to taste it. To make sure it was okay. None of the bottom shelf stuff here. No plastic bottles either. Not just for environmentally. But we want to go for the fine wine stuff here. So he had to taste it. The kings are also a little bit nervous that people were going to poison them. So sometimes he had to taste this wine to make sure that there was no poison in it. It would be evident what would happen if there was. He would die. <laughs> but But so... He's, he's choosing the wine. He's tasting the wine. He's, he's around King Artaxerxes and he's there. And he, he's, he's right in the middle of, of everything that's going on. It's a, it's kind of a high ranking position to be a cupbearer. You have to be loyal and trustworthy because you're hearing things. You're hearing what the king is talking about. You're hearing his plans and his dreams and his, his expectations and all of this kind of stuff. And your job is to hear that. But to not spread it, you can't be, you can't be a cup cupbearer and be a gossip at the same time. It, it doesn't work. So he, he, he had to be somebody that was loyal and trustworthy, not a blabbermouth. And this is where we find Nehemiah. He's got a good job. He's a respected person to the king. Someone the king would not give up easily. Hold that in your minds, because that's important. Something that the king would not be willing to give up easily. And so where we find Nehemiah in chapter 1, it's around, it's late autumn. So it's, I don't know, it's November, December time. Nehemiah is visited by his brother Hanani. An important, must have been an important trip, because from Jerusalem to Susa, it was around 900 miles, It would have taken about four months. So Nehemiah's brother would not have made that trip lightly. Nehemiah just asks, as you would do, how things are going. How are things going for the Jews? How are are things going in Jerusalem? The report that he gets from his brother is not great. Basically, things are a mess. We hear that they're in great trouble and distress. In other words, they're all at sixes and sevens. They're all at sea. They're not following God as they should. And they, they can't even be bothered to rebuild the city walls and the gates and... This is a reflection of their heart. This is not what Nehemiah wanted to hear. And what Nehemiah does next is what I want us to spend the rest of this sermon thinking about. Because he doesn't pack his bags and leg it to Jerusalem, even though that's likely what his brother would have wanted him to do. The first thing Nehemiah does is to cry over the city and the people that he loves, and he fasts and he prays for them there's so much he could have done but what he needed to do shows us what's vitally important to him he cries it shows us what's in his heart he fasts because he knows he needs something powerful from God and he prays because he doesn't want to act on human impulse but rather he wants to hear what God's plans are and so for, for for Nehemiah this is a case of first things first. And when we use that phrase, first things first, we're saying the things are the most important, the correct, the right, the proper things. They are the things that we do first. And Nehemiah knew that the walls would need to be rebuilt. Yes. He knows that the people would need some building up. Yes. He knows that for all of that to happen, for him to have a part to play in that, he needs to go to his boss, the king, and ask for some indefinite extended time off. Yes. But before all of that, he spent the proper time needed in prayer. He put what was most important first. Why? Because he knew that none of what was needed was going to be easy. And so he needs to set himself up right with God. Motivating the people to rebuild the walls and in doing so rebuild their lives was going to be no mean feat. And going to the king and asking if he could be released, if he could have a sabbatical, but he doesn't know for how long, was not going to be a walk in the park either. And you see, I wonder if we sometimes don't follow the pattern that Nehemiah is laying down, and our lives are a little bit like the basketball net, they're incomplete, they're lying in ruins. And I wonder if the tension that we face in life is that we put the wrong things first in our lives. You know, are you a patient person? When you you see something that God may be laying before you, like he did with Nehemiah, do you you just crack on with it because you want instant results, or do you take some time? You know, we live in an age, don't we, of instant results. You know, if somebody has sent you a a WhatsApp message, and you see the the two blue ticks because they've read it, If they haven't replied in 23.2 seconds, you get a little bit, oh, why have they not replied to me? Can you remember the days we used to put it in a letter in the post and send it and wait a couple of weeks for a reply? Oh, they're the good old days, aren't they? Not now when emails and and text messages and we want an instant result. We want it now. And because of that, we don't, Often put first things first. The the important things first. We jump in with both feet. And ask questions later. What is the saying? I'll I'll act now and apologize later. We need to. Slow ourselves down a little bit. And put first things first. As Nehemiah did. Because you see we, we hear that. He spent some time in weeping and praying. And fasting. But if you read on, you'll see then where he comes to in chapter 2. You can, if you do the maths, you can see that the time he spent in praying and fasting before he did anything was not just, let's just have an hour's prayer meeting on a Tuesday night, as great as that is. And can I encourage you all to come because it would be wonderful. But he spends four months. Nehemiah spends four months in prayer and fasting before he does anything before he asks the king for some time off, before he thinks about planning and preparing how he's going to rebuild these walls, he spends four months in prayer and fasting. And I wonder if we do the same when we have some big decisions coming up in our life. Or because we live in this instant world where we want instant results, we fire off a quick prayer and then we just do what feels right. Yes, I... I know there are times when urgency is called for, and I believe God makes that very clear to us. But sometimes we rarely draw closer to God and go at his pace. You know, I believe God's pace is slower than ours. I really, I really do, and I find it interesting that God's pace is slower than ours when he's somebody who created the speed of sound and light. And could go at breakneck speed. God can, can you know, we, remember we always used to talk about Linford Christie and Usain Bolt. And, and all these amazing athletes who can run 100 meters in, in less than 10 seconds. God looks at 10 seconds and thinks, that's like four years. I can go at the speed of sound, the speed of light. That's what I created. And yet, often in our lives, God chooses to go slower. And friends, I think we can learn something from that, that the God who created the speed of sound and the speed of light chooses to go slower. And he does it because it's for our benefit. Speaking of going slowly or fast, Simon this morning doesn't allow us to go through this prayer in forensic detail, but, but I do want to mention briefly three things about this prayer that Nehemiah spends four months in. And firstly, it's how he starts to pray. Nehemiah truly sees God. I don't know how you pray when you have a difficult situation coming up or you find yourself in a difficult season, but most of us usually come before God and, and we like to tell him how we're feeling. We like to vent. We like to get it off our chest. We like to say, God, I've had a guts full of this now. Can you you draw it to a close? Can you bring this season to a close? Can you do this so that my life is a little bit easier? Can you heal this person? Can you do that? Can you do that? God, I'm a little bit fed up now. We can't just catch a break. God, I'm struggling with this. And I need you to sort this out. And I need you to do it now. Amen. Nehemiah doesn't start his prayer that way for he says "O lord god of heaven the great and awesome god who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands you see nehemiah before anything wants to truly see god nehemiah knows who god is he knows that god is much more than he is He knows that God has supernatural power to do all things, that God is the ruler of all things, that he is sovereign, that he is creator. He is above and in all things. He is far above Nehemiah. And in effect, Nehemiah is saying, God, compared to you, I'm nothing. I'm not even a speck of dust, for you are so much greater than me and you are awesome. And as Nehemiah starts his four-month prayer campaign, he wants to position himself correctly before God. That is, he wants to make himself lower and lift God up higher. He wants to acknowledge who it is he is coming before in prayer. The God of heaven, the most important one, the boss. And I don't mean Bruce Springsteen. The boss, the God of heaven. That's who he's coming before. Nehemiah isn't at this point of his four-month prayer concerned about bringing any requests to God at all. That will come later. For now, he just wants to hang out in the awesome presence of God and in the presence of the awesome God. Nehemiah wants to hang out in the awesome presence of God and in the presence of the awesome God. He is truly not only putting first things first by starting with prayer as opposed to getting on and rebuilding. He's putting first things first in his prayer by the way he's praying. Friends, this is not about trying to get God to do what he wants. This is about recognizing who God truly is. And hanging out there for a while and and not rushing on to simply be in the majestic splendor of God. To quote Eric Mason in his study book, Nehemiah for You, he says, Nehemiah is clear that the natural problems that confront him are rooted in spiritual issues. So saying, O Lord God of heaven, is a supernatural statement see Nehemiah realizes that the rebuilding of these walls is far more than bricks and mortar far more than the raw iron gates or whatever it is or the wooden gates he he realized that there's a deep-rooted spiritual issue here and so be able to to solve that he just wants to hang out with the the one who has the answers he wants to hang out with the supernatural being he wants to hang out with God recognizing who God is when our lives don't go the way we want them to, is what we need to be able to walk through the struggles of life. Some of you will remember the Christian singer Martin Joseph. Any nods? Yeah, He's a Welsh guy. He's from Cardiff. Okay, That's not why I'm mentioning him. He, he, he started as a Christian singer. He had albums, Nobody's Fools, sold out, all of these kind of things. We used to love him. When I was first in a, in a Christian band, we used to do covers of Martin Joseph. He's, he's still going strong. He's, a, he's big in the folk world now. He does lots of folk world um, uh, festivals and all that kind of stuff. But he, back in 1984, Martin released a song called What Can I Do? And in this song, he talks about when we've got struggles in our lives and they're not going how we want them to go. And there's a line in the song where he says, and it's all because he's not living in you. And what he is saying is that we're not seeing God as he truly is. And bringing him first and foremost to our lives, before we bring our situations to him, is what's most important. And then Nehemiah wants to know what it is to have God living in him. Not solving his problems, not giving him answers, that will come. But he, first and foremost, he wants to know that the living God, the all-powerful, the all-majestic, the, the all-amazing the all, the, the all God, he wants to know him living in him first and foremost. Because that is what's important. So first of all, Nehemiah truly sees God. And secondly, I want to say in this prayer, Nehemiah owns his sin. Nehemiah has truly acknowledged who God is, but then he does the same with himself. If in his prayer he elevates God, he truly sees himself as he really is by lowering himself. By acknowledging that he has sinned and therefore without God he is nothing. Now, we feel a bit uncomfortable in our modern world in 2023 with this one because we don't like hearing the word sin. We, we, we feel the word is a bit harsh, it's a, a bit judgmental. But friends, the Bible talks a lot about sin. So we need to talk about sin. Not from a a judging point of view, but from just recognizing without sin, there would have been no reason for Jesus to come. So sin is part and parcel, sadly, of living in a fallen world. You know, we love to talk about uh, stepping into our purposes from God and into new seasons, all of which are good things. It's why we're walking through this series, but the truth is, we cannot go anywhere or do anything until we allow God to deal with the mess that we have in our lives. And the wonderful thing, the good news is for us as Christians, because of Jesus, with Jesus we get to deal with our mess. It does not define us. And you see, Nehemiah owns his own sin by talking about the sins of his nation and the sins of those who have gone before him. But he doesn't shrink responsibility or say, well, I wasn't there, so it doesn't matter. It's a bit like me in a staff meeting when somebody says something that happened in 2022 in Bill and Ricky Baptist Church. I think, well, that's all right. I wasn't here then. It's nothing to do with me. <laughs> Nehemiah doesn't do that because he uses I and we. He connects himself To those sins. We may think it's not fair on Nehemiah, but Nehemiah recognizes that while he may not have committed the sin in the first instance, he has benefited from it in the present. And so therefore he's walked in these sins. Friends, it's why. White people need to collectively say sorry for the slave trade in the past and for racial injustices in the past. No, we were not there, but we have benefited from it, especially in the West. In the, in the present. We've walked in the results of those sins. So when religious organizations, the BU, the Baptist Union, have done this, they make apologies for the sins that happened many years ago, before they were even born. We own them, not because we committed them, but because we've benefited from them. That is what Nehemiah is doing when he confesses that he has not obeyed the commands and the decrees that God had given through Moses. He's confessing sin, and he hasn't even asked for anything yet. And he wasn't even there. Nehemiah owns this sin in a way that's challenging and humbling to us in our modern world. Because we use words like, it's not fair, and I wasn't there. You know, you look at kids, if, if... if if you've got two kids like we have and something's happened and neither of them are owning them, owning up to it, you, you you kind of got to blame them. And the one then who who you say who who who, who might not have done it is that was not I didn't do that. No, but you've benefited from it. You're walking in it. Nehemiah benefited for the sins of, of those that went before him. And we need to take a leaf out of Nehemiah's book and own our sin and own this sin, not just of the things that we did wrong, but what we benefit from from the past. As I said, we've not got the time to go into all the detail, but Nehemiah goes on to acknowledge the truth of God's word, and it's it's why it's good to mention, prayers, uh, to mention scripture in prayers, to say it back to God. God loves it when we say back to him what he's already promised to do. When we say things like, you'll never leave us or abandon us in our prayers, God loves it for it shows God that we know his word is steadfast and true and we're applying that to our lives. So we need to own our sin and we need to, to, to pray scripture, to bring scripture into our prayers. But then, as we come into the end, right towards the end of this four-month time of prayer and fasting, then Nehemiah finally asks something of God. And when he does so, he asks in faith. Nehemiah asks in faith. I wonder if you're someone who likes asking people for things. My mum used to say, well, they've got two choices. Yes or no. It's up to them. Meaning that if you ask somebody, they can either say yes or no. But if you don't ask, you, you don't get, you don't know. And I get that principle and there is some truth in that. But, but I still don't like asking people for things. Especially when it's personal. I, I think I'm just worried that they're going to say no. Because <laughs> that's what my dad used to do. My dad used to just say no. Without even thinking about what, what it was. Dad, can I? No. We haven't even heard what I'm asking. Oh, but the answer's always no. Well, why is the answer always no? I don't know, it's just no. That's how I was brought up and that's how I'll bring you up. And sometimes we we, we take that into life. We've got these personal things going on in our lives and, you know, we don't like asking for help. We don't like asking for this or asking for that. We're concerned that they'll say no. I don't know if you've been watching the program Race Across the World. It's a great program. It's a wonderful program where you've got I know, five teams of, of two that are, uh, have been given nothing but the price of a plane ticket and with that money they've got to get across a country or across the world. They can't fly, they can go in any other mode of transport and they've got to, that's all the money they've got. They've got no phone, they've got no no debit or credit card and that's it. And so to get at the, the currency, they're going across Canada. And, and to get across Canada with over about seven or eight weeks with I don't know, two and a half thousand pounds or something each. The only way they're going to do that is if they ask people for things. So they've got to ask people for lifts. They've got to ask people for accommodation. They've got to ask people for work. They've got to ask people for food and all of these things. And some of them are great. They don't mind. They're quite bold. They just go up and ask anybody anything. And some of them are asking very timidly. "Um, you're You're not going anywhere near ontario are you and they're very timid in the way that they're asking and they, also, and they kind of walk away almost before the answer's been given i think we can come like that but nehemiah doesn't there's no timidity in nehemiah when he after four months of praying asks god for something and you see friends nehemiah can ask in faith because he has spent four months hanging out in god's presence he has truly seen who God is. He has laid himself open before God by confessing his sin, the mess in his life. He has used God's word in his prayers. And so now the asking bit actually seems to be the smallest bit of his prayer. It's almost as if now he's, he's so close to God that he doesn't need to mention anything. Yet when he does, notice Nehemiah not only prays in faith, but he's super specific. Grant me success today by making the king favourable to me, put into his heart to be kind to me. It shows us that it wasn't a foregone conclusion that the king is going to be both favourable and kind to Nehemiah. And that's what's on Nehemiah's heart. And so he, he prays in faith for some very specific things. You see, he knows this request is not to any old God, but to the God of heaven. Can you see this? When we pray, when we've been hanging out with God, we're not just praying and saying these things in a vacuum to any old God. We're praying to the God of heaven. Come on, church, the God of heaven, the living God, the God who flew stars into space, the God who sent Jesus to die for you, the God who raised Jesus from the dead, the God who can do absolutely anything, the God who has an eternity waiting for us, that is the God we're praying to. Are you there? That is the God that we pray to. That is the God, the awesome God that Nehemiah has been hanging out with four months. That's the God he comes to and he says, I just want the king to be kind and favorable to me. And he asked in faith. You know, King Artaxerxes was a powerful man. He was seen by many people as a god. But Nehemiah knew he wasn't the god. Nehemiah, as Eric Mason says, started his prayer morning, but now something is different about him. He started with mourning, but now he's ready to go before the king and he's standing 10 feet tall. I would say he's ready to go before the king because he spent time with the true king. And for us in our lives, we can be ready to go before those things and people that would seek to be the kings of our lives. For we know we've spent time with the one true king. Friends, putting in the legwork, putting the first things first with the king of kings means that when it comes to our lives, we can ask him anything. As we close this off, I appreciate this has been a perhaps a whistle-stop tour of an introduction and placing of Nehemiah and then a broad brushstroke of chapter 1. That's why I encourage you to go home and read chapter 1 again. But I want to ask you, where, where do you see yourself in Nehemiah? Because, because we all have earthly situations. We have earthly bosses who, need to, who we need to speak to and work for and work with. We have earthly situations that we need to resolve. We have conversations that we have to have with people that we may not be relishing. We have tasks that cause us stress. Nehemiah is in the same position. He has an earthly king that he has to speak to. More of that in chapter 2. But before he does any of that, he goes to the one who runs everything. He goes to God. Nehemiah puts first things first. And for him, the first thing is prayer. You may have heard the saying, pray as if everything depends on God and work as if everything depends on you. It's been attributed to Saint Ignatius and it seems to be the heartbeat of Nehemiah. For we'll see throughout this series, he certainly worked hard. Nehemiah did his bit, but he knew this was worth nothing if he didn't prioritize, if he hadn't started with prayer. Friends, prayer is us saying to God that we know it all depends on him. We know he's the boss. He's in control. Without him, we are nothing. So I, I want to say, if you're finding that you're not seeing a breakthrough, you feel there's a blockage of some sort in your life with your earthly situations, your earthly mountains, then you would do well to spend time in prayer and fasting for that situation. How much time? Well, Nehemiah spent four months. Not worrying too much about asking for God to sort things out, but rather just choosing to hang out with God. I'm not saying there's a magic formula to prayer. Then if you do what Nehemiah did, then you will definitely see results. But what I do know is that if you put first things first, choose to hang out with God, then you will either see your earthly situations changed or your heart towards them will be changed. You may not see a breakthrough, but God will strengthen you to endure you know, I read this week: what you pray about reflects what you believe about God. What you pray about reflects what you believe about God. Now, if I have believed that God was central to life and could do anything. What do you believe about God, and how is that seen in your prayers? let's pray together as we finish I, I want to ask us where, where do we see ourselves collectively in Nehemiah how do we view our towns and cities as your eyes are closed how do you view your, the community where you live do you weep and pray and fast for them that they'll come back to God do we see that we have a, a role to play in this. You know, we we all want revival, but we rarely position ourselves to see that happen. I just want us this morning to to say to God, we don't want revival to just be a good church word. We want it to be a reality. Let's make it a priority and be willing to call upon the God of heaven to make it happen. And before we, we do anything, Let's commit together to seeing God work. Yeah, Father, we just... We want to come before you today. We want to thank you for for Nehemiah and for the, the truths that we've seen in his word, in your words through him. We want to thank you that he's shown us that before we do anything, we need to come before you and pray. We need to lay ourselves before you. Lay ourselves down before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Lay ourselves down before the, the throne of God above. Believing that you can do the impossible. And so, Father, I just want to pray for your people gathered here or online. If there are things going on in life that are causing pain, that are causing struggle, that are beyond us. Then may we commit to coming before you anew and afresh. Not not just with a shopping list of prayers, but coming before you to recognize the awesome presence of God and to hang out with you, to, to just spend time with you, to spend time with the God of heaven above. Spend time with the God who loves us so intimately that he sent his own son to die. So Father, may we we truly see you. May we confess our sin and may we ask you in faith for you to move those mountains in our lives. Yeah. Father, may we just know that this morning. And as we respond to him, as we're singing, just, as we sing the words of this song, just hang out with him. Just recognize his awesome presence. Just recognize that he is here for you. That he wants to be with you. He wants to hold you. He wants to help you. He wants to comfort you. He wants to give you his peace. He says, build your life on him, on him alone. And today, as you respond, may you truly be able to sing out, Holy, there is no one like you. None beside you. Open my eyes in wonder. Show me who you are. Fill my heart. Lead me in his love. So those around you. Friends, we need to build our lives on the right things. We need to put first things first. To build our lives on God. And allow other things... To follow as he chooses to allow in our lives. Let's stand together. Let's sing this song as a response to him. As we call out our praise. As we lay our lives open and bare before him. Allow him to open your eyes in wonder to him. As if for the first time. Let's praise his name today and respond in our hearts.